Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Write that, write that down for me, Satan. Write that down for me, Satan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Write That Down. I'm Justin Nipper. I'm an editor over at Fight Game Media. I'm a staff writer over at F4WOnlineWrestlingObserver.com. I am back with everyone's favorite historian, broadcast journalist, pro wrestling author, Mr. Fumi Saito. We're back with what may be considered a long overdue episode on the history of the Funk family, the Funk brothers, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. So last week... We did this kind of, I call it a primer episode on NWA in Japan, NWA's perception and influence in Japan. How fans perceived not only the NWA, the organization, but the NWA champions of the time. Getting to know all of that, getting familiar with that really will help illuminate a lot of the points we talked about in today's episode. So let me just give you a quick rundown on some of what we talked about on today's episode. We started out talking about Dory Funk Jr. when he was NWA champion after he defeated Gene Kaniski in 1969. We talked about, in Japan, Dory Funk Jr.'s kind of relationship, I suppose, to Tiger Mask or the Tiger Mask character and his appearances in the comics and how that kind of built his mythos with the fan base at the time. Uh, We talked about the passing of Dory Funk Sr., who would often travel with the Funks, Terry and Dory, to help out and second them at ringside. Um, We talked quite a bit about when Dory Funk Jr. became a regular with All Japan after he dropped the NWA World Heavyweight title. And he became this first... I guess, prototype version of the ex-world champion working regularly for a Japanese company, which meant a lot, especially back then. We also talked about when Terry Funk began appearing with All Japan and his contrast with his brother during that time. We talked about those two as a tag team as well when they started doing summer action series. We talked on when Terry Funk retired forever and ever in 1983 which is also when he chose Terry Gordy to kind of take over for him in All Japan this is when Terry Gordy debuted with All Japan lots of great stuff about the Funks uh, versus the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher 
Fumi tells his great story about getting chased as a junior high school student by the Sheik and Abby. That's always fun to listen to. We spoke about when Terry came back to wrestling in 1990 and joined Atsushi Onitsu's FMW and kind of changed his, not only his look, but his whole wrestling style. We talked about him and ECW, his severe effect on ECW and influence on the company. Um, we spoke about his time in Hollywood during the mid-80s when he spoke a bit about Hulk Hogan and how those two got on during this time. And we even spoke about how Funk was the one who helped Hogan get the Thunderlips part in Rocky III. Uh, don't worry, we do talk about the Terry Funk album, infamous album that he made in Japan back in the 80s. His time again in ECW, WWF is Chainsaw Charlie, his late run WCW. We talk about his uh, late 80s run WCW too, when he was doing commentary and had the flair program. Uh, talked on the Funk, uh, Funkin Dojo and Funkin Conservatory that Dory Funk launched in the 90s too, which was early times. It was kind of like a WWF farm league uh, kind of developmental system sort of before wwe would establish their own all right if you haven't already please subscribe to the fight game media network podcast feed the free feed on spotify apple or wherever you're listening to your podcast hit the subscribe button because it helps us out a ton all right let's jump right in to the history of terry and doris funk jr dory funk senior and dory funk jr Terry Funk was more about player, wrestler, you know, active wrestler. But the father, Dory Funk Sr. and Dory Funk Jr. was also a part producer for All Japan Pro Wrestling. And they are the ones sending all the territory superstars from all over the United States to All Japan Pro Wrestling. All Japan, Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling was the company that had that every single American superstar from you know all different territories that like the wrestlers I read about on on wrestling magazines. You know what I'm saying? Mm, the top wrestlers in the world, around the world. Yeah. In the yeah. magazines, you saw the pictures of them. Those were the ones you read about. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about not just Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk and Harley Race, but you re- read about people like Don Leo Jonathan, the Welber Snyder, the Dick the Bruiser, the, of course, Mill Maskers, the, you know, all, all I mean, the, the Sheik. people. Yeah, Sheik and Abby are more regular, you know, mm-hmm. but we'll, talk, we'll get to Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik in, in a minute because it's very important. You know, part of the, the Funk's legacy, uh, that the Dory Funk, Terry Funk, the Funks against Abdullah the Butcher and the Sheik, the legendary tag team event, that really helped each other in hindsight. That the legendary tag team match made the Funks bigger baby face than than, than ever before, and that tag team match made Abdullah the Butcher and the Sheik even bigger heel. You know. They really demonstrated what the baby faces are and what the heels are in Japanese ring. See, up until then, see, Amer- Japanese superstar against American superstar, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of subtle, but Japanese stars are the baby face and American stars are heels or the subtle heels. Even people like uh, way back in when Luthes, 
when he came to Japan, he played so heel. You know what I'm saying? Making like a, you know, you do the color and elbow tie up and you know, pushing onto, onto the rope, and the referee tell tell you to break up, break it up, right? Then mm -hmm. you make the clean break if you're a babyface wrestler. But even for Luthes's case, that he pushed the elbow onto guy's face and pound, you kind of do a uh, teeny push, you know, as you break off the you know mm -hmm. from the rope and showing the message of subtle healness. Yeah, not entirely would... clean break. But right, it was right, a little rough. The... And also, then you keep doing, you know, giving uh, certain like uh, gestures and certain sending certain signal to people that he might play dirty. Mm -hmm. But those are the individual superstars. But basically, up until seventies, it was always Japanese against American, huh? But the funks were, and I should say, I should add mill maskers. But the funks, Terry Funk and Dory Funk were the very first complete American babyface. I see. Oh, yeah, of course, you know, Giant Baba and Jumbo Trula against the Funks happened so many times, but the both teams worked like babyface. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so they still work against each other, but the, the Funks against another American team, the Funks are always like automatic babyface. Hmm. Yeah, goes back. Go back. Let's go back to the NWA, you know, title match at, at the World Heavyweight Championship thing being like undisputed, you know, the closest thing to undisputed World Heavyweight title. That uh, it's like my childhood memory. The comic book series of Tiger Mask. Mm -hmm. There are two two different things that the animation, you know, TV animation series of Tiger Mask and the comic book series of Tiger Mask. Actually, they had. Uh, comic book series and animation series had two different endings. Okay. Yeah. So which uh, which came out first? Um, actually, comic book came first and became so popular it became animation. I see. But the, yeah, but the animation runs so fast in, two, in so many different episodes and so many different characters, including fiction fictional wrestlers, that the, actually they surpassed uh that the uh, comic book version so they became two different stories almost ah okay yeah and the comic and the anime version were targeted for more more childish i guess you know like uh, there's a uh, torano ana that uh, big you know uh, like evil faction that that you know that trained tiger mask tiger mask betrayed this bad company that that he became good wrestler and then uh, stop paying them uh, you know like off off of your of your money that that the, you make from wrestling you have to pay back uh the torano ana you know the you know, until you retire or something so you know, that that's that's the actual story for the you know the basic storyline that uh, he wanted to help orphans in Japan that he stopped sending money to your wrestling school instead he starts spending you know money to help orphans or children's hospital and all these things it's a story then he stayed in Japan and became good guy that's the animation version and your enemy is always almost like a faction I mean like a fiction version of wrestlers you know but the comic book version uh was more almost like a half non-fiction than at the very last episode of comic book version of tiger mask he challenged dory funk jr for nw title oh wow so he was a part <laughs> of the story 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Comic book version of, yeah. And uh, the first title match, the Tiger Mask challenged Dory Funk Jr. for NWA title. That ran the whole episode of the how Dory Funk Jr., you know, the Funk family became the uh, very famous wrestling family. The father, Dory Funk Sr., was big star in Texas, wanted to be champion, but then the challenge Luthes, but the Luthes uh, kind of beat him, you know, the square that uh, Dory Funk Sr. had a dream that the, he will make his sons world heavyweight champion someday. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they, you know, they portrayed Dory Funk Sr. as a Texas rebel heel that couldn't beat the Mr. Professional Wrestling, the Kingpin, Luthes. It's mm. kind of almost similar, I mean, like a, almost historical, that's like almost real story. Then then the Dory Funk Jr. became pro professional wrestler and challenged, challenged Luthes, couldn't beat him. Then eventually he beat Gene Kanuski to become World heavy, NWA World Heavyweight Champion. That's an old, pretty real story, right? They and came to big, Japan. And Baba Challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because up until Gene Kaniski, it's an old generation. And 28 year old Dory Funk Jr. finally beats Gene Kaniski in Tampa, Florida to become NWA champion in 1969. Then he comes to Japan. It's all a real story. And actually, Giant Baba challenges, couldn't beat him. Antonio Noki challenges Dory Funk, couldn't beat him. Both 60 minutes per hour away, but that you really established in Japan that, see, Baba couldn't beat Dory, right? Inoki mm -hmm. couldn't beat Dory, and he takes the world's, you know, heavyweight title home. I said, oh my gosh, it's like, even for me as a kid, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Championship, I should say, is something above pro wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. Japanese wrestling. Back to Tiger Mask, the comic book series Tiger Mask. Tiger Mask 2 challenged. You know, that's like a, becoming like a final episode that the, he challenged Dory Funk Jr. for NWA title and that he put the abdominal stretch to finish him off, right? Mm -hmm. Tiger Mask put abdominal stretch to uh, Dory Funk Jr. Dory Funk Jr. all of a sudden punches out the referee to 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 get DQ'd on purpose. Therefore, Tiger Mask beats Dory Funk Jr. I mean, for this title match, but the finish, that the outcome was the, the, the DQ finish, therefore the champion retained the title. Mm. Kind of hollow and, victory. Yeah. Then right in between the you know first title match to second title match, he was going. Tiger Mask was going to challenge, uh, you know, for the second. I mean, th there were two two title matches lined up. One in Japan, one in Tokyo, and then one in Osaka. Just like real history, right? Mm. <laughs> between two title matches, he visit his offense home. Then he got in car accident, and uh, Naoto Date dies. Mm -hmm. And that was like, and he 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 got killed by uh, the, the big truck, and uh, he threw the mask out of his pocket, so nobody knows he was Tiger Mask. But he dies, and uh, Tiger Mask no shows. Dory Funk uh, title match was the second title match was Dory Funk Jr. That was the end of the story. Oh, what a story! Yeah, yeah, but uh, that 
that part that the champion, world champion, get DQ'd, you know, on purpose and to keep the title was like, wow, that was new for kids, right? Mm. That's right. You need to pin the champion or the <clears throat> pinfall or submission is the only way that you you can beat the champion. Uh, count out finish. Uh, you shouldn't say finish, but the the count out or the DQ. You can you can win the match, but you can not win the championship. Hmm. Learn that. I mean, something about the real world, huh? Anyhow, that uh, comic book series Tiger Mask was so big. I think that helped Dory Funk Jr.'s name in Japan. Also, that guy really is the world heavyweight champion uh, from America, hmm. and that the Japanese wrestlers. Jan, if it's Jan Baba or Antonio Inoki or even the comic book hero Tiger Mask couldn't beat him. Almost untouchable world champion. Interesting, like, huh? Like a like a folk hero almost, like the, the mythos of Dory Funk Jr. before you get into the ring. You sort of knew that already. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And then he, he beats Gene Koniski for NWA World Heavyweight title for the first time in 1969, right? He really comes to Japan that year. Then uh, for real, uh, the Giant Baba challenges, Anthony Inoki challenges, and both couldn't beat Dory Funk, and he, take, he, he took the title home. Wow, right? Hmm. I mean, 1969 version of Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. It was before Inoki opens his New Japan Pro Wrestling and Giant Baba opens his All Japan Pro Wrestling. It, it, you have to wait another three years to happen. Hmm. But so, but Inoki and Baba were together in J you know Nippon Pro Wrestling JWA. But uh, that that's a company that the Tiger Mask worked for <laughs> too, hmm. you know. And uh, yeah, but uh, um, we're talking about Dory and Terry Funk this time. That uh, Dory Funk Jr. was your childhood real world heavyweight champion. For most most of the, like uh, wrestling fans today, the over age fifty, you know, that's how NW is being looked at, and the uh, world heavyweight champion means in Japan. You know, yeah. I think after Dory Funk, it's a little bit different of a topic, but that style of, uh, I guess, promotion or, or or getting a foreign star over by putting him into a comic book and talking about him like a character, that also happened along with the Abdul the Butcher, the She, Mil Maskers, Pedro Morales, who he's the one who taught. The drop Top Jan Baba drop kick. I don't know if it's true, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but I remember yeah. I've seen the you know the artwork and it's like they're training out in the woods and it's it's yeah, like yeah, camping out in mountain, yeah, mm. and the campfire and the giant Baba playing guitar or something. At something night. like that. Yeah, it was very. I mean, could it be true? I mean, it's not that far fetched. A lot of people believed it though. It's believable. It's believable enough. Oh, oh yeah. And instead of just saying it or talking about it on the broadcast, making it into a comic book. Over and over, yeah. Had well, a very work, different effect. Yeah, different effect. And uh, the, as a, if you experienced, you know, Dory Funk Jr. as NW World Heavyweight Champion as a kid, that really stays in you forever, really. Mm. Yeah. And... Right when Jumbo Tsuda, after 1972 Munich Olympic, he, he turns pro, right? And young Tomomi Tsuda 
um, after a few months of training in Japan, he was sent to Amarillo, Texas to be trained under the Funks. Mm. Oh, true, right? That's true. And yeah, and that was when Dory Funk Jr. Drop, dropped his title to Hurley Race for the first time, mm-hmm. 1973. And right after Dory drops his NWA World title, to Hurley Race for the first time, um, Dory Funk Sr. passes away for real, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Amarillo, Texas. And in, 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 in that's like, wow, um, Dory Funk Sr. passed away. And Dory and Terry have to take over the Amarillo territory. And he's also, he's still active, you know, wrestler, but he, they have to be superstar, I mean, uh, the promoter. And young Jumbo Truth is in and over there. That the that the early seventies Japanese fan read about all these, and how Amarillo, Texas, became like a sister city to Japanese wrestling. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting how after being introduced to the Japanese fans, the Japanese fans were familiar with them, but their story too, and they they got to experience that death sort of with dory senior they they were there and they they heard about it at the same time so i think that and also that all the wrestling fans in japan read that uh, dory funk senior was the one who helped jan baba to to open uh, all japan pro wrestling and dory funk senior was the one who was sending all the american wrestling superstars to japan you know just like uh, uncle dory right Mm. senior NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And also, then, uh, just uh, just from the look of it, I mean, you had Dory Jr. He really did look like his dad when they were yeah, younger, yeah. especially. I mean, they looked, it, it was so believable. It was a believable situation. They were a real family. Oh, of course. And the suit and tie with, with cowboy, cowboy hat. hat. Yep. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. Very interesting so that's look. That's Texas. Oh, Texas. And uh, it's, it's such a cliche, almost, almost stereotype, but... The, if you ask any Japanese person, it's just like, you know, these American people, you know, wearing cowboy hat. It's just right out of movies, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of ser- uh, serves the stereotype. It's kind of it, it satisfies what's already in your mind if you're in Japan already and you have an idea about what a cowboy might look like. Right. They check then, all the boxes. After Dory Funk Jr., this Dory, yeah. You know, no longer NWA World Heavyweight Champion, right? Mm. He, as a former world champion, start coming to Japan regularly. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
if you're NWA world champion, maybe you come to Japan once a year for one week. Sure. You know, maybe twice, but one week tour, not five week tour or six week tour or like eight week tour or anything like that. You know, that the Dory Funk Jr., famous former real world heavyweight champion, start traveling to Japan three or four or five times a year. Oh my gosh, he's all Japan regular and working babyface because everybody knows that he's the one who trained Jumbo Trula. Yeah. Three years later, let's fast forward three years. 1976, former sumo superstar Gen Ichiro Tenru mm. uh, quit sumo wrestling and turned pro wrestling, you know, turned to pro, pro wrestling uh, under Giant Baba. Giant, instead of Tenru making any, any debut match in Japan, he was also sent to Amarillo, Texas to be trained under the Funks again. That's another, let me so that's, that the sister territory, you know, story continues. Jumbo was sent to Amarillo to be trained, you know, by the Funks. Tenru was, was sent to Amarillo uh, to be trained under the Funks. And what was interesting was, was though, that when Jumbo was in Amarillo, rookie Stan Hansen and rookie Bob Backlund were with them. Hmm. And when Tenru was sent to uh, Amarillo uh, to, to be trained under the Funks, Ted, young Ted DiBiase and Tali Blanchard were there with them. Mm. I mean, this is not fiction. It's all real story, and it was in magazines. Like, so Ted DiBiase, you know, people familiar with Ted DiBiase as, as like a fan fam family before his first you know, appearance in Japan. And uh, wasn't uh, DiBiase, wasn't that Tenru's first match with Ted DiBiase? Right, in, in America, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah 10, minute, 10 minute TV match, because both rookie. Mm. But the legacy and uh, real history, and it's like the Giant Baba's real connection with American wrestling big time promoters, and it's, that really made, really made all Japan pro wrestling and Jan Baba as like a real big deal because Jan Baba really does have real strong connection with Americans like uh, mainstream wrestling, you know, not just family, but the mainstream wrestling business like establishment mm -hmm. where Anthony Inoki really struggled for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, uh, the Baba family, <clears throat> All Japan, that was the connection to the NWA going into yeah, the 70s and yeah. 80s. And uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling was the only company that in that, that brings in NWA World Champion. <clears throat> when it was Hardy Race, Hardy Race, and Hardy Race dro drops title to Jack Briscoe, Jack Briscoe comes over, you know. And when Jack Briscoe was beaten by Terry Funk, and Terry Funk, you know, comes, comes back as NWA Champion. Oh, of course, Terry Funk was regular, uh, with all Japan pro wrestling at the time, but the, while Terry Funk was NWA world champion, he couldn't come because it's another myth of NWA world champion that the, your, your bedroom is your airplane. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. You travel so much that uh, you'll be sleeping on the plane. Hmm. Hmm. Not so far from truth because you traveled a lot then, you know? Territory to territory, to states to states, to even over the ocean, to different countries, and you're the world heavyweight champion. But Terry Funk's NWA reign only lasted about a year. He dropped the title back to Hardy Race. Then Hardy Race still comes back, you know, comes to Japan, all Japan. Wh wh whomever NWA champion at the time, 
they all come to all, all Japan Pro Wrestling. That's promoter Jan Baba's power. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And, and uh, I guess these, you know, supplemental comic books really helped build the aura of the NWA. For teenage, you know, male wrestling fans, of course. Hmm. They watch every, you know, watch all the wrestling on TV and read all the wrestling magazine and also read the comic books too. Hmm. It's like I'm talking about myself. Then, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of people, right? It was, it was, uh, I mean, it was huge at the time. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was the only one. But, uh, you know, uh, there are uh, like a type of wrestling fan who stays with this NWA myth. And I'm on the other side of the group that I grew out of this NWA myth. You know, because mm-hmm. it was like, um, right, but it's just another territory that the NWA fine. But uh, you, if you read Wrestling Magazine carefully, there's a, a Vern Gagne's AWA. That's pretty large, you know, territory map on the you know, Midwest to northern part of, you know, United States and parts of Canada all the way till like West Coast almost, right? Mm-hmm. Then there was that geographically smaller but the population was much bigger new york city wwwf hmm. that had business partnership with anthony noki's new japan pro wrestling for 10 uh, over 10 years so it's like uh nwa isn't the only thing and but the you know large portion of wrestling fans in japan to this day still believe that nwa was the biggest organization ever and the biggest you know governing body for professional wrestling and that every all the promoter in all over the united states have, had to have membership or you're the outlaw <laughs> mm. i don't know yeah it was like but, the official uh, brand it was like it's the trusted brand it's it was wrestling at the time yeah i guess so yeah and people love the nwa belts you know sure the, the dory funk's black leather belt to harley race model your what do you call it the globe model thing all the way till probably like uh to uh all the way till to uh rick flair's gold belt you know and all of the nwa champions from that time that came over they all ended up having pretty distinct legacies in japan and they're all well known well respected harley and, race harley race Mm-hmm. Yeah. All or, to this day, yeah. Uh after the, the, the Texas Stadium, um Kerry Von Eric, you know, at, mm-hmm. at Texas Stadium eighty four, Kerry Von Eric beats Ric Flair for NWA title. That was a big deal, right? Mm. But both guys uh, right after that, both guys traveled to Japan. Ric Flair as a challenger and Kerry Von Eric as NWA champion. They had the title match in Yokosuka, Japan. That's where Kerry Von Eric dropped the title. Mm. In Japan. In Japan. And, yeah. And then Ric Flair takes the belt home from Japan. That's that's also like a big promoter thing, you know, for really like educated fans' eyes. Mm. And maybe yeah. a bigger deal over there than because over here it was, it was used as a way to kind of forget about what happened. Yeah. Well, because everybody knew Kerry Von Eric's title reign was not the I mean, won't be the long one. Right. But yeah, it it was uh it's always memorable and it was a big part of the perception of the Japanese mm-hmm. fan base mm-hmm. at the time. Right, right. And 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 uh, around the same time see Inoki always had the NWF belt, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, kids channel 10 world progressing TV show always want to refer that as big four, <laughs> big four, meaning NWA, AWA, WWF and NWF. And that the TV show want to treat in Inoki's NWF title as part of big four. Hmm. Not, <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. It... You know, sometimes it was domestic happens. domestic championship almost. The Inoki only defended title, not only, but he did that in Brazil and in other places like Mexico. But the NWF title always stayed in Japan with Inoki. <clears throat> that was Inoki's legacy title mm-hmm. until IWGP, you know, project. Yeah, but, which uh, means the truth was that uh, compared with the NWA title, the NWF title was a, less of a big deal overseas. And, oh, um... Of course, the, the title that Inoki basically purchased purchased from mm-hmm. Ohio, right? But on the, on one hand, I mean that title became kind of synonymous with Inoki himself. The look, yeah, yeah, for that seven was his years. Belt. Yeah, yeah, that was his belt, and the challenger was really strong, like you know, Andre the Giant, uh, Stan Hansen, the, uh, whomever came to Japan at the time that he beat it all, you know, beat them all. And also against Japanese superstars like Strong Kobayashi, the Kintaro Oki, the, the Inoki really put the you know, title online and defended. And, and the NWF title was a big deal within Japan. But they had to deal with this Inoki against Bob Backlund, you know, you know program in Japan, that the, how he could beat Bob Backlund and how could he get out of it but not losing it again you know what i'm saying hmm. but another that's another subject for another day we, we can talk about that a little bit in another another episode we're talking about the, the funks the funks Ter- dorian terry <clears throat> was every bit big superstar as when he when they were world heavyweight champion they come to japan three or four times a you know year for all japan's long tours and work baby face and that made existing big heel like Abdullah the Butcher big, big deal too. Because now you know how to- complete babyface work and complete heel work, you know. And uh, it was kind of J- Terry Funk, uh, Abdullah the Butcher program really complemented each other. They made Terry even bigger star and Abdullah the Butcher, you know, even bigger star. And all the heels... Uh, American heels that, that came in that, that if you work against Terry Funk, you're automatic heel. Hmm. And this was yeah. in all Japan. All Japan, yeah, all through seventies, well into eighties. And also, uh, the Funks brought in young Dick Slater and Ted DiBiase to be Funk family. They Young Young Dick Slater and Young Ted DiBiase, they worked just like Terry Funk. Mm. The punch, the elbow drop, the spinning toe hold, double arm suplex. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. It's like a mini version. Dick Slater, at least, was like a mini version at one point of what oh, Terry Funk was. Yeah. Like a right-handed, right-handed Terry Funk. Mm. Terry Funk's southpaw, so he, he does everything from left hand, you know, the mm. boxing punch and everything. That uh, Terry Funk, uh, that the Dickie Slater, rather, he worked just like Terry Funk, but right handed person. But the same color tights, same, you know, the like, uh, very similar ring boots, and same fluffy curly hair of 70s. <laughs> All right, let me ask you yeah. this. Yeah. When did 
Terry Funk and his singles career break a little bit away from Dory Funk Jr. and his singles career? Because, of course, the older brother had to outshine the younger brother for a little bit. But Terry Funk, he went on his own path and had a a different sort of career, even though they were both Um, NWA champions. When was it in Japan, at least? uh, They didn't really separate, actually. They they were were a tag team for a long time, right? Tag team for a long time, but uh, they were also individual single superstar, too. At the same time. So when did Terry start to break because, out? Uh, it's, a, it's like almost like a character differences. Dory Funk Jr. always quiet, calm, never, you know, like appeal to to the audience or anything. He's just always quiet, and uh, he just does everything like quiet, cool, and it works. Whereas Terry Funk is more exaggerated, you know. That he laughs, he cries, he bleeds, he's so emotional that uh, it's like a, it was always Dory Funk who calms his brother down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a, two different personality that that really complement each other. Dory Funk is always like cool, uh, precise, and meticulous, and and then just like a cool person who is people know that he's a business partner of giant baba too whereas terry funk is total texas cowboy mm. you know what i'm saying Dory and the good looking junior guy. he would never really change his facial expression he would nope. always kind of nope. wear the same one terry funk is he's oh guys emotional and excited and yeah and he really used his body, not just, um, you know, of course, he's a wrestler, but he almost had a slapstick way to, and, and it's not meant to say that in any sort of insulting way, in, in a very unique way, the way he would flop his body around the the ring. He would always remember. Yeah, like he takes crazy bumps. Crazy bumps. almost It's almost cartoonish for a moment, and you always remember it. And and, and when when the sheik and 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 Abdullah the butcher takes this foreign object or the like a wooden stick or ballpoint pen or some foreign object, start poking people's you know face or forehead or arm, it was onto Terry Funk's body instead mm-hmm. of Dory. Of yeah. course, and it, it was always. Funk. I don't remember Dory ever really bled that much. Terry was the one bleeding. If if Dory Funk bled, I feel like it would be in a singles main event match, but not one of the tag team. But maybe I think some of those uh, oh, but somebody like, matches like by by Brody or somebody. Sure, and I think some of those matches that we're talking about between the Funks and Abdul and the Sheik, there was a, I'm sure there were some matches where all four were covered in blood. Well, I, I I'd have to uh, you know right 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 go back that and happened. watch. But that the match but it was always more than Terry. Once. It it was always Terry. It was always was... Terry. Yeah. In trouble. Then, 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 then Dory Funk comes in the ring and rescue his younger brother. Mm-hmm. That was good for Japanese audience. Dory, go get Terry. Dory, go get Terry. It's like it's like so emotional, you know. And Terry yeah. was so clear in what he was doing, the way he was uh, communicating his pain to the audience. There was no um, ambiguity about uh, what he was doing. It was just clear, kind of a communication with the crowd. He's in pain and he's in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, Almost he does over that the top. All the way there. Yeah. yeah. And well, that's what he made in, into hardcore wrestler in the 90s when he was 50 something. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, I guess you could make an argument that those matches he was having in the 80s in all Japan were some of the first hardcore matches in pro wrestling. Pretty much, probably. Yeah. But the uh, Giant Baba never did have 
death matches in there. No mm. barbed wire, nothing. It know? evolved in the 90s for sure. Well, another, uh, like almost like a Baba's child by Atsushi Onita. That was his interpretation. Atsushi Onita wanted to be like Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Uh, Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, the Funks against Baba Jumbo, right? And uh, the, the, there's like a, the Funks against Harley Race and Nick Bachwinkle together. And uh, the Funks against uh, Billy Robinson and uh, with somebody like Les Thornton or the Wild Angus or somebody from England or some, you know, these different matches. Um, the Funks against Br- Br- Hanson and Brody, of course. Mm-hmm. The Funks against Brody and Snuka. You know? mm, sure. And, yeah. And uh, it was always the, the Funks being total baby face, the American, but the total baby face in Japan that going up against American big heels. That, 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 it was really easy to understand. But what about those animated. matches they would have with uh, Baba and Jumbo? It was more like uh, when, when Jumbo was in the ring, it was like a teacher and the pupil. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, because uh, if you remember uh, forearm smash, elbow smash thing that the Dory Funk does, mm-hmm. yeah, like European uppercut, you call it now. Sure. That, 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 that thing that Dory gives it to Jumbo, and Jumbo comes back and do the exact same, like elbow smash, the same way, same form. Mm. Like mm. Same huh. double arm suplex, Dory gives to Jumbo, and then Jumbo gives to Dory. Same side suplex, side suplex. Same in the belly to belly suplex. Yeah, same. Yeah. Or the sometimes reverse suplex, you bridge up and and you get up and gives, you know, and then rolls up into your backslide or something. It's just something scientific, they call it then. Mm. So, yeah. So it was like a Baba stayed out of the ring a lot. The <laughs> 80% of the match, Jumbo was in it. Jumbo against Tori, Jumbo against Terry. When Terry was in the ring with Jumbo, it was another, you know, teacher and people match up. That the, the jumbo worked a lot like young Terry Funk too. The selling yeah. was the same too, yeah. And they and uh, even wore kind of the same uh, trunks. Right, right. We talked about that. The jumbo, yeah. young jumbo Tsura had this either blue, in the blue or red short trunks with star on your butt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The lone yeah. star. It, yeah, exact same tights that Terry Funk wore, and uh, it was just uh, the visually it was clear that the. It's a teacher against pupil kind of matchup and drama that dra- drama not in the, in the modern in the term drama but the drama in nice way you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. dramatic yeah yeah dramatic yeah and uh, it that baby face against baby face tag team matchup worked that way yeah and uh, it, just Dory and Terry were were always regular, you know, not just American superstars that come in once or twice a year or once a year or every every other year. Terry Funk and Dory Funk, sometimes they have solo tour. Dory Funk come in for two weeks and in the following two weeks, you know, Terry Funk come in. And at the end of the year, tag team tournament, the Dory and, Dory and Terry are together. And mm-hmm. every summer, you know, there's a, they, they use the same name still, Summer Action Series, the name of the tour, you mm-hmm. know, uh, for kids are out for you know for summer summer vacation. July, mas, you know, Mel Maskers and his his brother Dos Caras come in and spend summer here. 
Then uh, Summer Action Series Part Two in August, Dorian Terry will come out. You know, they come in, and it's like during the summer, all Japan had a lot of kids in that in, in that building. And uh, that was around the time that uh, you know wrestling fans, kids, even you know not, not just boys, but the you know female fans too, they go you know go to hotels or they're staying and wait for wrestlers, right? Hmm. And Dory and Terry always always sign autograph and take picture with them until the very last person. Hmm. It doesn't matter how many kids were there. I mean, I'm talking about hundreds, you know. 200 kids in hotel lobby, you know, and always get kicked out. But uh, the, the Terry Funk, Tory Funk always smiles and always in good mood. And especially Terry Funk, that he signs autograph and take picture with them all the way to the very last person, then leaves. Hmm. I mean, he doesn't get paid doing that, right? Hmm. But the, that was Terry Funk way. You know, they, all people love Terry Funk. Then Terry announces his retirement in 1983, summer of 1983, that uh, Terry Funk announced his retirement. Later, 15 years later, that uh, Terry Funk told me in person that uh, New Japan at the time was so strong with, you know, not just Inoki and Hulk Hogan, but uh, Fujinami Choshun in his prime, you know, program and uh, the Satoru Sayama's original Tiger Mask so big deal and then New Japan was like a really really like in the boom period and then all Japan felt that they need to do something you know like a really something drastic and that was Terry Funk's retirement that the people believed it of course you know well now that in hindsight <laughs> how many times did Terry Funk retire right exactly yeah so in yeah. hindsight it's kind of a different uh, yeah, but it's 30, 40 years later now, so yeah. now we know. But uh, in summer of 1983, it was sad. and It was like a really big deal that, the, oh, God, our hero Terry Funk is retiring, that his his body can't take it anymore, right? And the uh, big cowboy Stan Hansen taking over, of course. Stan Hansen would be all Japan top, top gaijin talent for the next 20 years. And nothing to take, you know, anything away from Stan Hansen. He's such a big star. But uh, you cannot coexist, huh? Terry Funk and Stan Hansen? No, they're quite different. Yeah. I mean, they're similar, but they're also pretty different. And I think the size difference but, is... Yeah, but uh, there's a backstory to it, too, that uh, uh, Stan Hansen, the, the Bruiser Brody, all people like, you know... Uh, Dusty Rose, Bobby Duncan, the Ted DiBiase, the younger Barry Windham—you know—they all attended in the same college, West Texas, right? West Texas, right, right. And uh, the story, the famous story that the Stan Hansen and and Terry Funk were friends before Stan was a wrestler. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And uh, they're both big Texan, Texas, Texas cowboy. And this might be Stan Hansen's that time. And sure enough that the younger Stan Hansen will always beat up Terry Funk. Terry, Terry Funk's body breaking down. And uh, it was perfect retirement, you know, drama that uh, Terry Funk all of a sudden, you know, announces his retirement in summer of 1983. And the retirement match that year was Dorian Terry against Stan Hansen and young Terry Gordy. They introduced Terry Gordy in that match. Mm. Wow. Yeah, Terry Gordy also wearing cowboy hat that time. 
21-year-old Terry Gordy, though, you know? And he was full-size pretty much by then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Freebird already then. Mm. Yeah. The, the old Japan and Giant Baba was almost responsible for breaking up, you know, the fabulous Freebirds. You know, Michael Hayes didn't really want to come to Japan and do that, you know, that mm. the, 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 the Von Eric program or the Midwest or, the, or wherever they went, Freebirds were the instant main event. And Michael Hayes and Terry, Terry Gordy, real friends in real life, but uh, Terry Gordy, just himself, you know, got the deal in Japan. So he starts spending time between Freebird and All Japan schedule. And then more, you know, more dates with All Japan. That spelled the end of Freebirds. And but the Freebird had a Freebird, you know, fabulous Freebird had a third member, Buddy Roberts. But later on, the, the gorgeous Jimmy Garvin became one of the Freebirds too. So mm-hmm. uh, the Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes re- remained friends in real life. But uh, more and more, Terry Gordy became All Japan wrestler. I mean, beginning of eighties, yeah. Mm. Are you following me? And Funk had, Terry Funk had a very, that very emotional, very dramatic uh, retirement inside the ring, the forever promo. Forever, forever, forever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it so, was a big, big retirement, and that was featured in the movie Beyond the Mat. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Beyond the Mat was. Pretty much about almost Terry Funk. Terry Funk, Terry Funk movie, right? Yeah. Right. What was interesting is though that the older brother Dory did not retire, and from that point on, John Baba and Dory Funk became regular tag team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jumbo and Tenru became regular tag team, and by then mid '80s, Jumbo switched his trunks and boot, wrestling boots from this star and you know star and spangle and the blue you know red and white and blue. To black trunks and black boots, mm. matching tights and trunks with Tenru, and they, you know, Kakuryu, Kakuryu combination and Jumbo and Tenru became the regular tag team to be international tag team champion until Tenru turned on him. But that takes takes a while. And even with Tenru and Jumbo together as a team, even though those are two Japanese wrestlers, there is that. St- funk influence on them as well and their wrestling dna oh yeah because everybody knows that the both guys were different uh, 73 and 76 three years apart but the both were trained under the funks so that kind of uh funk feeling that's still with all japan even without terry funk being there so yeah, and not just for Japanese market but the people know people knew how big the the, the funk family meant Mm. in in wrestling business in America, you know. Yeah. This uh that that's this whole old Japan Giant Baba's establishment kind of thing. That uh, he is the one who has a great strong connection with American wrestling and wrestling business in America, which wrestling came from in, mm. in right? Mm. Yeah, because whereas Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling is more of a domestic feeling, like a Japanese movie, you know, mm-hmm. when Jan Baba's Old Japan kind of imports Hollywood movie, right? Right. And right. use pro wrestlers uh, from America as they were in America. I mean, if, whether it's, you know, Wahoo McDaniel or, or Dick Murdoch or Dick Our Murdoch or, orig- yeah, originally worked for Old Japan. And all these, these super American superstars, you work like you've been read on magazine. 
Whereas when American superstars come to Inoki's New Japan, all of a sudden he start playing heels because Inoki's complete domestic, like a Japanese, I mean samurai, you know, babyface, right? Mm-hmm. That the Inoki beats him right away. No big rivalries. <laughs> yeah. Just like Hulk Hogan, same method. Yeah. Well, that Hulk Hogan learned it from Inoki, I, I think, mm-hmm. that uh, Inoki and Tiger Jeet Singh program lasted over a decade. Then mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, Inoki against heel under the giant. I mean, in his prime, under the giant worked heel. Amazing, amazing heel and monster. And also wrestled pretty good. And uh, uh, younger Stan Hansen, you know, will eventually switch sides. But uh, yeah, uh, they were the program. But other NWF title match challengers, Inoki beat everybody right away. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like Terry Funk, Dory Funk kind of, you know, friendship. Oh, I guess that the you know the only American that the Inoki used as an uh, more of an establishment was Korogachi and Luthes. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a strong style. The, uh, like a birth of strong style, make wrestling into legitimate contests. You know, we learn from Karl Gotch. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's a mm-hmm. different method, but they're almost same, you know, philosophy. But uh, uh, all Japan had Dory Funk, Terry Funk, and all the American I mean, mainstream, uh, like a big territory, you know, superstars. Inoki always had that their own American crew. And the only one who had any any influence was Korgach. I mean, like a decade, I mean, like a generation or two younger than Funks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was kind of older at the time, too. I mean, he was wrestling, but it wasn't uh, as regular. Oh, Inoki against the the, the early 70s, Antonio Inoki against Korgach single match. Mm. Coral was 47, 48. Mm. And the one single match Luthes had had against against uh, <clears throat> Antonio Inoki was like Luthes was fifty nine. <laughs> you were there yeah. for that, right? <clears throat> yeah, I was there as a kid, of course. I went to watch Inoki against Korgach too. I was mm. fifth grade, sixth grade. Inoki Sakaguchi against Korgach and Luthes together as tag team match. I was there. Yeah, I was sixth grade. How about the Funks? What are your memories of seeing the Funks live? Oh, uh, being chased by Abby. I had so, <laughs> such, oh, God. It was like, people run for real because you don't want to be chased by the Abby and, and Sheik, you know? And then we, you know, my buddy from school and I got chased by Abdo the Butcher when, when I was like a fifth grade, sixth grade. And we really ran for real, you know? <laughs> then we laughed so hard that it was, it was like a, I thought it was the greatest thing. It's a different feeling. Because when the Coral, when Coral Gotch come to Japan, you sit and watch the deity. Mm, you study, you know. Oh yeah, no, almost like a, it's like almost a priest, Roman Pope or something, <laughs> like somebody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get serious about it. What you're watching, what you're watching is really, really serious. You better be serious too. Mm. Behave, you know. Oh, just you know, Inoki Coral Gotch single match like. Like a quiet heat, you know, like a silent heat. Mm-hmm. Then uh, when some, you know, when they do something cool, you just sit and clap, mm-hmm. right? Whereas Terry Funk and Abdul the Butcher, the Sheik, you just have to scream. You know, mm-hmm. this is a different kind of feeling. It was chaos. Oh, I loved both. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just expect. Style. Oh, and also you expect a different show when you go to a different, you know, company. 
Yeah, there were big stylistic differences. Yeah, so it was like a Friday night wrestling on Channel 10 and a Saturday night wrestling on Channel 4. Two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was interesting back in 70s and into early 80s, that the TV code, like uh, regulation were different. You know, I mean, we got some, you know, a lot more strict over the years that it's like... 70s TV show was almost like all R-rated almost because on primetime, 8 o'clock at night, Abdul the Butcher and Janet Bob were bleeding on live TV. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty, I guess, graphic for the time, huh? I think so. Oh, the same thing uh, about Anthony Noki and Tiger Jeet Singh. Both guys bleeding on national television. And there's some maniac Network with television. a weapon, uh, like a knife or a fork or a uh, saber. Or, uh, a saber, of course. Yeah, Tiger Jeet Singh. Yeah. Or Abdul the Butcher takes something out of his boots, you know? Mm hmm. Or yeah, pencil. Ballpoint pens. I mean, hey, or, or the chair shots to your head. Sure. Yeah, it was pretty, and I think there was. A, it started a, Japan with a high tolerance for in-ring violence at around that time because it was violent in certain parts of the states, but not on television. Can't be, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the picture, right, right. yeah, at the house shows and in the picture, sure. And depending yeah, on they, the territory, they didn't really take it easy on TV, you know, until like eighties, and then uh, other force. That changed the, the the content of wrestling. It wasn't the wrestling company, but the TV didn't want it anymore after mm. probably mid eighties. Yeah. See, Ricky, Ricky Dawson's days in you know late fifties into sixties, they did have you know the blood on TV, and evidently nineteen sixty three when Freddie Blassie bit Great Togo's head in color television, the be- beginning of te- color television. People died, you know, mm, watching. They were shocked. It. Yeah, yeah. And like, it was people actually had heart heart attack. Of course, they had older people and had existing condition. And the television itself was still new. And the color television, 1963, just color version being introduced. Somebody watched. It was not actually Freddie Blassie, but it was that the great Togo who bled. <laughs> yeah, because that was his thing. People didn't know about right. Mm. Yeah, but the, that really happened. It was not fiction. That the uh, t- TV, um, that the what do you call that? The, that the third party um, committee that you know that that has this discussion over TV content. That the regular FCC. T- yeah, there's something similar, FCC, similar yeah. in Japan. Yeah, that raised hand and said, should we have this on television any longer? Mm-hmm. And they went back to black and white, you know, wrestling show became black and white all the way till like 67, another four years. Yeah, that's for real. But anyhow, that uh, back to 70s, Baba, uh, even Baba and Abdul the Butcher every week, Terry Funk, when he went, went went up against Abdul the Butcher, pretty much every time he was on TV. Yeah, they all bled on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different time. It was wild. Yeah, different time. Yeah. But Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr., uh, even after Terry Funk retired in summer of 1983, he uh, kept his like a tour schedule and he was back. Uh, on All Japan TV as a re- uh, special referee. Mm. You know, the following year, 
84 when Jumbo Tsura beat Nick Bakwenko to become AW World Heavyweight Champion in Japan. Terry Funk was you no know, special referee mm. with his you know t- tuxedo and all that. Yeah. So he w- he would still come and appear and, and be there. Yeah, yeah, on TV. Then he made you know decided to you know announce his comeback at the end of '84. So he was retired all of what year and a half. <laughs> but uh, this time, people kind of almost resented the, his comeback. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then 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 '85 on, it was like Dory Funk, Terry Funk against the Road Warriors. Yeah, that that sound good on paper, but the match wouldn't be all that good. Yeah, yeah Dory and Terry weren't the same guys they were in seventies at that point. And Dory and... Funk, and then the Road Warriors would do just Road Warrior match, right? So yeah, yeah. So that the even the great promoter like Giant Baba, he miscalculated a little bit, huh? On that part. Maybe. Seems, I, yeah. I, I don't know. But, but also, you got to factor in that I'm sure people didn't expect Terry Funk to come back so soon. So, right, right. So it, it, it kind of backfired, yes. Hmm. So it was not, you know, you have to wait another few years until Terry Funk becomes super popular again. It was this time not with Old Japan, but hardcore, you know, Onita program. Mm hmm. FMW starts in 1990, and Terry Funk, well, Dory, Dory Funk re- remained with All Japan, but Terry Funk himself, he basically jumped to Onita's company to help him out. Yeah. Mm. While Onita, you know, see, Onita too retired with his, you know, the, just knee injuries and all these things, and he was gone for like five years until he made FMW and he made comeback. What he did was complete opposite of what Baba would do. You know, I don't want to say it, but this basic garbage deathmatch ring, total independent style. But mm. people liked it because you have all kinds of wrestling in Japan. You have, you know, all Japan and Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling, the two major league of professional wrestling. Then you had UWF, that it's like a, almost like a, the birth of MMA, right? Like MMA style, MMA like professional wrestling. Then Onita had this idea that the, what he would do would be so different that people love it. You know, it's basically playing Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really Bob playing Dwyer. up the violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The violence level was at the complete uh, opposite end of the spectrum or scale if you compared it to something like UWF. If UWF was sport, this was. Uh, something else this was more action movie and it was what's huge. funny yeah what was funny that the that hardcore or the, the or serious wrestling fans will watch all of it though you know one weekend you go you go watch uwf and get serious and then next weekend you go watch onita and probably the following week you you go watch all japan women's wrestling sure and all of those shows were pulling lots and lots of people Huge crowd. And 90s peak period again. Yeah, early 90s was so strong. Well, All Japan Women had network channel, Channel 8, Fuji TV, which is mm. good. But the Onita and Akira Maeda, you know, UWF, they survived without television. That was amazing. That was like a VHS and rental video era. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And also video trading for, 
U.S. fans, huh? But also, I guess if you're gonna run your most of your shows in Tokyo, it's a big or enough a bigger city. city like Osaka. The yeah, yeah, that that might be big enough that you might be able to do it between like videotape sales and ticket sales, domestic ticket sales, because the cities mm -hmm. were they were big enough and they were pulling in crowds just like New Japan and All Japan were, sometimes more. Yeah, they, they did not run as many shows as All Japan and New Japan. No? All Japan mm -hmm. and New Japan always, always ran 150 to 200 shows a year. Whereas, you know, Onita's one tour lasts, what, uh, 10 days to two weeks. Mm -hmm. But they videotape it all. And, and uh, yeah, because each and every death match meant something, right? Mm. You have to watch it on, on video. Yeah. And they became more extreme, you know. Yeah. Then, more acting. Uh, Unito was more dramatic before the match, and there would be the little mini movie. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> then you bring in real Terry Funk, like aged Terry Funk. Mm -hmm. Longer yeah. hair. Long tights. Mm -hmm. Goatee. Yeah. And uh, not even walking well, you know. And not shying but away when the match from starts, the match. Yeah. He, not, but no, the, when uh, the match starts, he can move. Sure. He was doing moonsaults. Oh, he didn't start doing moonsaults until he was 53. <laughs> so how old yeah. was he when in 1990 at this point? This was, uh, was he in his fifth? Um... Yeah, he is. In, 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 yeah, because when Terry Funk retired in 1983 for the first time, he was like 38, 39. Okay. I yeah. see. And the 93, so 10 years plus, is, is like, yeah, like, and 49, 50, yeah, yeah, because when, when Terry Funk was part of ECW, he was like 53, 54, 55, mm -hmm. remember? Yeah. Then ECW picks up, uh, the, 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 almost like a start, well, they'll change style a little bit later on, but the, the original Paul Heyman idea was like FMW. Mm-hmm. Bunch of no-name wrestler, but you do the extre extreme things. Then eventually, he became extreme championship wrestling. And Terry Funk was like a father figure there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he was sort of the the legitimate outsider who came in to kind of coach their stars. Yeah, living legend of professional wrestling. Yes, mm. had a pupil like Tommy Dreamer. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer and Raven yeah, and Cactus Jack, Sabu. Sandman, yeah. Yeah, so it's like uh, I had another strong run, big comeback this time. Yeah. So Terry Funk, Dory Funk, you know, just went to separate way, you know. And Dory Funk was never really full-time wrestler in America after 1980s. He always worked Japan, no? But he didn't really that the work many dates in America anymore. He was running wrestling school in Ocala, Florida. Mm. Yeah. And also was sending, you know, talent to all Japan. Yeah. And also it was Stan Hansen, Bruce Brody's prime time, you know, that uh, Dory and Terry are a generation older than Brody and Stan. Hmm. Yeah. So it's the early 90s. Terry Funk is doing more and more FMW. He does do ECW, and he got, comes back and does IWA a little bit too. Yeah, IWA Japan was a spin-off 
uh, of FMW that the people and the group of people and the promoter and producers who weren't happy with Onita's FMW and uh, along with Victor Quinones uh, as a as a producer they formed IWA, IWA Japan. It was strong promotion. You know, they ran stadium card in, at the Kawasaki Stadium. So they basically stole the idea from Onita that they run Kawasaki Stadium. It's interesting. You don't run Tokyo Dome. It's a Kawasaki Stadium, that the outdoor baseball stadium, like much like Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the mat, the show starts when it's light out, you know, during the afternoon. That the, when Onita comes in, it's so dark out that it's at night, you know, and then you felt like you were there all day. It was a different experience than any of the, I guess, the big two at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a hypothesis and almost, you know, like a wild one. But uh, if Bruiser Brody was around, he would probably join. Uh, either FMW or IWA Japan. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Terry uh, Gordy connection... was a part of it. Yeah, right. After Jan Baba started using him, right. Mm. And uh, after in, after Bruiser Brody put Jumbo to the over clean, one, two, three, that he left, then he got murdered. But uh, the, even Brody, you know, that they, they will come, that uh, he wouldn't be working for All Japan any longer. And that uh, he, Brody always had his own dream of, you know, opening up wrestling company in Japan. Hmm. Yeah, someday, you know. And he told me about that. Wow. And instead, his friend, Victor Quinones, who was part of FMW, but uh, he, you know, he walked out of, you know, Onita's FMW and got together, uh, got, got together with local pro promoters here in Japan that he started IWA Japan because he had IWA Puerto Rico, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, all kinds of Puerto Rican, you know, like Miguel Perez Jr., the uh, Hurricane Costero Jr., the, all, all kinds of Puerto Rican talent came started coming to Japan and trained Japanese wrestlers here in Japan. And Terry Funk was a big part of IWA. And if it wasn't, you know, Terry Funk in a deathmatch tournament, the Cactus Jack wouldn't be a big, huge superstar in Japan before he was superstar with WWF. And it was really with Terry Funk that he had his I think so. big famous Oh, the, 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 the Deathmatch Tournament final, the yeah. summer of 1984, was, yeah, Terry Funk against Cactus Jack. And people thought Terry Funk will, will win the Deathmatch Tournament. Instead, Cactus Jack won the tournament, beating Terry Funk. The star was born. Isn't that interesting? You know, we actually did, we skipped over one little part of Funk's career in the late 80s, early 90s, right? About around the time of FMW. Oh, the WCW? WCW. Right. Yeah, with Ric Flair. Ric Flair, right, right. Uh, that was a it huge was It was around the same time. It was around the same time. That was 89. Like just just right. before FMW launched and he went over there. Yeah. And, and he was doing was a kind when... of hardcore thing. With you I know, think the... that that the WCW run in the program against Ric Flair was when Terry Funk made comeback because for about four year period, he was making movies in America. That's right. Roadhouse. Like Road, Roadhouse, yeah, yeah, and all that, yeah. He tried to be an actor, you know, a little bit. And was also mm-hmm. doing the, in the lo- local commercials, and you know, like, uh, uh, the, the car dealer commercial, the beer in the course commercial, uh, yeah. He was in quite a few TV commercials. Like didn't he? Uh, didn't he work with Sylvester Stallone? 
on a movie? Uh, the, the Paradise Alley. Okay, Between so one two of the Rockies movies. Movie. Yeah, but that was like a 78. Oh, okay. Okay, that was yeah, earlier yeah. on. Yeah, but he did, have conne- he did have connection with Sylvester Stallone. And uh, it was Terry who introduced, it, seriously, it was Terry Funk who introduced young Hulk Hogan to Sylvester Stallone to be mm-hmm. part of Rocky Three. Wow. Yeah. The only time they really, <laughs> the, the biggest moment of their careers when they crossed paths was outside the ring in Hollywood. Well, 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 the, 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 Between Terry Silver... Funk and Hulk Hogan. Oh, Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan were friends yeah. for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And they were uh, on top in Japan at around the same time, just at, you know, opposite companies. And then uh, actually uh, Hulk Hogan promised that he would come to all Japan for you. Yeah, you know, that was uh, in the middle of this, you know, old Japan and in New Japan stealing each other's talent. Uh, New Japan stole Abdul the Butcher from Baba, and then and the giant Baba stole Tiger Jit Singh from him, and they switched. Both Tiger Jit Singh and Abdul the Butcher switched side. It was a big deal. Then people like Dick Murdoch, the, the Chavo Guerrero Sr., the... Uh, the Quite a few. Oh, Taiga Toguchi, the Kim Dog, Kim Dog. A lot of guys jumped, mm. oh, you know, jumped fence. And it, Terry Funk asked young Terry, uh, Hulk Hogan, another Terry, Hulk Hogan, why don't you come to all Japan and join us, right? And then he was going to be a big surprise appearance for 10-year anniversary all Japan show in 1982, I believe. Yeah. Because both companies starts 1972, so the 10-year anniversary show should have been 82 then. End of 82, Hulk Hogan told, not on piece of paper or contract or anything like that, but he told Terry Funk that, okay, I'll come to New, you know, Old Japan for you, right? And they had a big uh, Africa, you know, like a South Africa tour, if you remember, Cape Town. And this this was All Japan? No, that the... the South Africa. Oh, there was a there was just a, a tour of wrestlers in South Africa. Yeah, Terry Funk against Hulk Hogan. Ah, uh, okay, that's where they had. Was it their first matches together, or because I know they did have. Yeah, one... I, I think so. Yeah, against each other, the big, huge main event, and Hulk Hogan actually beat Terry Funk because they wanted the local promoter wanted to do it like a Rocky Three movie. Hmm. And Terry Funk did not want that to. The news comes to Japan. Hulk Hogan beating Terry Funk in South Africa. Mm, I think. This, I see. The, yeah, and then the video yeah. tape does not exist. Only result in newspaper clip. Okay. Then I think Hulk Hogan beat Terry Funk in South Africa, but uh, neither of them wanted to get out. You know, I mm. mean, for Japanese audience. You know, but uh, somewhat. Somehow news got out, and you know, New Japan superstar Hulk Hogan beat Old Japan superstar Terry Funk in South Africa. The news came, and Terry Funk got so mad that he brought the photographers and reporters from his hotel and you know, went to Hulk Hogan's hotel, you know, to confront. <laughs> it was a big deal. But how they, you know, the solution was New Japan signed exclusive contract, a new contract with. Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan turned babyface with the Inoki and stayed with New Japan. Yeah. Then '83, uh, the inaugural first uh, IWGP tournament, Hulk Hogan beats 
Anthony Inoki to become very first uh, IWGP tournament winner before it was World Heavyweight Championship. Like tonight, today's, you know, title, title to be defended. Mm-hmm. The IWGP for the five-year period, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, for five-year period, it was not a championship uh, belt to be defended, but it was spring tournament, IWGP tournament. First IWGP tournament in 1983, how Kogan beat Antonio Inoki. That was a record. That's a record, but there was, a, you know, that the thing that didn't happen, that the Terry Funk was gonna bring Hulk Hogan into all Japan. Interesting, huh? Very interesting to see what could have happened. Yeah, those are all what ifs, you know. But that, you know, by staying with Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling, Hulk Hogan chose to become even bigger star. That's you know, right. And rest, yeah, and you know the rest of the story kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a yeah connection you know between Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan too, and in Hulk Hogan's autobiography there are more than one right. The, the one of one of the uh, Hulk Hogan's book it's been written that the Hulk Hogan like 1977 version of young Hulk Hogan almost quit, you know, because he wasn't making any money and he wasn't making it big. That uh, it was before initial run with WWE, you know. And there's, there was a one run with Hulk Hogan with WWF. Vince McMahon Sr., Vincent James McMahon, gave Terry Bollier Hulk Hogan name. But before that, uh, Hulk Hogan, before he was Hulk Hogan, he was like a, the Terry Boulder or something. He almost quit. And Terry Funk told him not to give it up. And, uh, yeah. And uh, Terry Funk was like almost mentor to young Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollet, I should say. And it, that portion of history is largely forgotten or being so overlooked. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Yeah, I mean, Terry Funk was sort of, kind of, sort of out of the picture because he was technically retired around that time, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it was also around this time, a lot of hardcore fans know about this. Around this time, he, Terry Funk, recorded an album, a music album. In Japan? In Japan, it it's was kind of like a, a cult classic these days. Yeah, it was a music album, but it was like a broadcast, you know, like a almost like a radio, like pro wrestling broadcast was on, on the record too. And, I mean, and him and him talking in the record, not all music video though. I mean, music record though. I, I mention it to uh, add to how big. Terry Funk was over in Japan. That the fact that yeah, was... only wrestlers who cut music, you know, like LP records. Today's fans don't know what the LP records are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big thing. It's a record. There's a turntable, and you put a needle on, and you listen to it. Like it's a vinyl. At the the only wrestler who cut album in Japan was Dick Byer, Destroyer, Terry Funk, and a little bit later on, um, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. did did have album in Japan too, mm-hmm. 83, and he was playing bass, yeah. So, so that's, that tells you how big Terry Funk was, and he is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, even when yeah. he wasn't wrestling. And then he, he did gradually come back and make it into the ring. He had the more, one more, you know, like a run, yeah, solid run. A couple appearances in WCW. Mm-hmm. And, and made ECW, yeah, like uh, put ECW on the map, 
And little, even a little bit later on in the late 90s that with Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, Mankind, that uh, Terry Funk had his Chainsaw Charlie run a little That's bit. That's right. Too. He had the, yeah. the late, the Attitude Era uh, appearance. Put the, put the pantyhose over his head, you know, like mask. Yeah. and uh, Had a flower. long underwear, like a long john. Yeah, underwear and chainsaw. Chainsaw Charlie. Chainsaw. At the Izakaya in Japan, I remember... Terry Funk talking about, uh, what do you think about Chainsaw Charlie? What? Hmm. Chainsaw Charlie. It's like he already had the idea. I don't understand why he had to change. Well, Terry Funk, they wouldn't be Terry, you know, the, the Vince McMahon wouldn't let you be Terry Funk, I don't think. I mean, why wouldn't somebody let Terry Funk be Terry Funk? I don't get it. I mean, I get it, but I, I also... Then again, in Terry Funk's mind, working WCW is something that uh, it's not part of Terry Funk legacy. Mm -hmm. When you work WCW and WWE, you become one of the WWE Monday Night Raw talent, like a cast of your weekly drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well, Terry Funk did have run, one run 1984 and 1985 run, you know, as... You know, Terry Funk and Hoss Fan, you know, Funk. Hoss Funk, that was Dory. Yeah, 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 like a WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 2, that era. They did work WWF. Yeah. When they were running, what, 300 shows in, you know, A team, B team, C team, three mm -hmm. different cities. Yeah. And the Funks were part of that too, a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think really that the, the Terry Funk and Vince McMahon, so I die, I don't think. I mean, in different generations, really, the Terry Funk came up and, and, and also, evolved. And also, Vince McMahon didn't really time. respect the Funks the way he should. It didn't seem that way. I mean, he, they were presented like, um, you know. One of the guys. Yeah, just opening match guys. Uh, you know, that, often, that was often the deal when any ex-NWA stars would come in, they would be... Yeah, because WWF and Vince McMahon does not take care of the character that was developed elsewhere. Right. It's yes. not WWE invention. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not as traditional when it comes to, like, a legacy and a family name and uh, whatnot. Well, yeah, I it's a shame. It, though. I, I get it. Yeah. It's just... Um... It's just one way of looking at things, I guess. But it was wrestlers who respected Terry Funk. Right, so it didn't really matter yeah. that much in the end. Right, right. And also, Terry Funk made some cash. Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah. He, he'd show up uh, a little after that in the late couple, the last couple of years of WCW. Yeah, it's because he was able to make money. It was hmm. the very end of you know WCW because they were making crazy, you know, they are paying crazy money to all the wrestlers. Mm. Yeah, you know the guys who are not on Monday Night Raw making like a seven hundred fifty thousand a year. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy. Yeah, but that that he that Terry Funk wasn't so crazy about Monday Night War, or neither Vince McMahon's WWF or Ted Turner's WCW. You know, he was not interested in it. Mm. Yeah. Um. By this time in the 90s, too, Dory Funk had the... When was it that he opened the Funkin' Conservatory, his wrestling school? 
late 90s was it officially late 90s? yeah 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 officially had Working a ring and tv WWE. studio and yeah yeah training talent and uh he had a like a tv studio like set up so he can have his own bang tv bang tv that's yeah, right yeah 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 so that was his like a little child i mean like a, his like like his little project i think not little but the, his own project in ocala florida mm-hmm. yeah, he chose to do so yeah. and there were and some also, uh, he... stars that came out of that eventually Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Kurt Angle showed up there, and uh, they were going to be a developmental, mm. ter- not a territory, but the wrestling school. Right, but there was were more early... than one wrestling school. Yeah, there was more than one wrestling school that affiliated with WWF at the time, like you know Ohio Valley and whatnot. Yeah, and the Georgia Championship Wrestling, and also had a wrestling school in Florida too. Not. The Dory's school, but the Steve Kahn's wrestling school in Tampa, and the, the WWE knew that they had to develop new talent, not buying existing talent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the middle of the, all these changes in wrestling business, Dory Funk was Dory Funk, and Terry Funk was Terry Funk. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he still lives in Amarillo, Texas. Terry Funk. Yep, still, still keeps lives. in touch with all the Japanese friends, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like a group of like all like over the years, you know, we made a lot of friends in Japan, non-wrestler friends that became friends with Terry Funk. That he calls up Terry Funk once a week just to say hello. Hmm. Yeah. He's still that well respected. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And Terry Funk looks like Terry Funk, and also it's like a, it's really good to see aged Terry Funk, you know, young Terry Funk, blonde hair Terry Funk is a superstar, the curly hair, you know, brown hair Terry Funk is good, that uh, the Funk's Funk Terry Funk was good, the hardcore Terry Funk was long, you know, like a goatee and long tights was good. Bandana. That, yeah, and then aged Terry Funk, today's Funk with all gray hair and all that, still Terry Funk. And uh, yeah, we love him. Yeah, I'm a I'm still a big fan of Terry Funk. I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Terry Funk. I mean, uh, especially if you grew up with any of his phases of his career, if they were uh, active, he was active and he was a big star when you were a fan. I mean, and I and know. there aren't that many wrestlers who were who were emulated as much. You know, a little right. bit of Terry Funk in a lot of wrestlers. But he couldn't really be emulated completely. There's no um, Terry Funk junior. Oh, no, not not that. But a little bit of Terry Funk here and there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, punch, emotion, oh, sure. bumps. Yeah. The um, way he carries himself, I think. And yeah. also um, the way he carries himself or, or doing things that are unexpected at his yeah. age. He was always yeah. uh, willing to go over the top. Yeah, I guess his adrenaline goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also and his impact in Japanese culture. I mean, he was kind of a, a based on a, a character in a comic oh, book. Oh, Terry Man? Terry Man. Oh, in, comic book Terry in, Man? In Kinikuman. Yeah, yeah. That the Terry Man is completely terrifying. And his action figure still comes out to this day. Yeah, 
And, and yeah. again, we mentioned it last week, but there's also Men's Teo, Terry Boy, who was kind of like the, the mini Not version. that big of a star, but the, yeah. yeah. But the, everybody wants to do the double arm suplex, you know, if you're, you know, uh, if you grew up watching 70s wrestling and 80s wrestling, spinning tall hold, yeah. And uh, the punch, yeah. When you were growing up, did all the kids try to do the spinning toe hold on each other? And double arm suplex in the playground? In the playground? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, the yeah. double arm suplex I didn't expect on the playground. That's hardcore. Oh, you know, like when you go to like a gym, you know, go to gym, gym, high school gym with gymnastics mat. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, you, you do the suplex. And also the cowboy hat and cowboy boots and Wrangler jeans. You mm -hmm. bought it. You know, I bought a pair. Of course. He's the guy. Yeah. He made it cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was always That's cool. That's probably why Stan Hansen's a part of the reason Stan Hansen's big is that that uh, he's like another big, huge cowboy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From Texas. Yeah. Pretty similar, you know? Different, but similar. Yeah. Terry was... Um... Like, what's the word? that I, I don't want to just say crazy. He's not crazy, but he was always... Um willing to go where the other wrestlers wouldn't go yeah yeah he was extreme in a lot of different ways uh and, his and, personality and, and, it was his way within terry funk boundary he evolved you know and always he always took, adapted yeah, and it's stayed pretty relevant yeah yeah without throughout, changing it throughout a long time he he's I mean, think of the the important generations he was a part of since the seventies. Yeah, seventies, eighties, nineties, since you know, twenty first centuries, and now it's twenty twenty two. Yeah, even a couple of years ago, I heard he, he was in some match with Jerry Lawler, and they were blowing fire at each other. <laughs> Do you remember that? Texas, that is a Tennessee program that also had. It's like a almost spin off of Terry Funk Legacy. Yes, he had program against Jerry Lawler since seventies. Whenever he traveled to Tennessee, he had the program against Jerry Lawler. That made Jerry Lawler a big star too. You know, I mean, helped Jerry Lawler in a certain way. That's right. The, and there's also got to mention the uh, empty arena match. Oh yeah, the idea of empty arena. Yeah, and you nobody's there, but you videotape it, right? Mm -hmm. And do the craziest thing. Oh, they came up with a lot of ideas. Um, I mean, that's definitely. Fighting oh, yeah. in concessions, concessions with hot dog and ketchups and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, he, the Terry Funk influenced Jerry, Jerry the King Lawler too. And the Tennessee style itself. Yeah, he had a, he left an impact wherever he was able to stay and, and be on television for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope that uh, well, the people, you know, the younger listeners out there and get the idea of what Terry Funk is today. All the Funks, of course. You know, older brother Terry, uh, Dory Funk, Dory Funk Jr., and younger brother Terry Funk, and, and uh, two brothers that, uh, I mean, the ones young, uh, with the, Dory Funk was all, almost bald when he was in, in the 30s. And uh, Terry Funk was, on, was the one with a lot of hair, you know. They look pretty different, but you could tell this is like older brother. So always like older brother and younger brother would shoot, you know, would do younger brother would do, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but Funk's huge, huge influence in Japanese wrestling culture. It's almost, you know, I feel like we hit a lot of topics, and I feel like, did we get everything? Because, I mean, there are... No, no, that's impossible. That I is think, impossible. You know, the... We threw, yeah, Terry, uh, the Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan in it, Terry Funk and Ric Flair in it, Terry Funk and ECW in it, and Terry Funk and IW Japan in it, Terry Funk and WWF in it, Terry Funk and Vince McMahon in it a little bit. <laughs> and you know what? On each of those topics, we could probably do a separate episode on each of those. And, and the whole episode of it, yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, Terry Funk is unique, and he's he's still kicking, and yeah, it's amazing. So, if we left anything out, or if you have questions or anything, reach out to us. So, if you wanted to reach out to us, Fumi, how can we reach out to you? On Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Please message me first. On Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it. That's the history of the NWA in Japan and the funk family in Japan. So if you have questions, let us know. We'll be back next time. So until then, Fumi, please take it away. So long from Tokyo. (laughs) 